for an Old Testament reading, I thought of Psalm 79, um, whether Israel always understood that they were a pilgrim's people or not. Um, they were, in fact, pilgrims, even though they entered the promised land, because as we know from the book of Hebrews, that land was not the final land, the final destination. They never entered their Sabbath rest, even there. So we're in the same state. And that means that we face a world that's sometimes hostile. And you can see what um, what the psalmist feels as he thinks of where God's people are. So let's hear the words of uh, Psalm 79. This is God's word. O God, the nations have come into your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. They have given the bodies of your servants to the birds of the heavens for food, the flesh of your faithful to the beasts of the earth. They have poured out their all around Jerusalem, and there is no one to bury them. We have become a taunt to our neighbors, mocked and derided by those around us. How long, O Lord, will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? Pour out your anger on the nations that do not know you, on the kingdoms that do not call on your name. For they have devoured Jacob and laid waste his habitation. Do not remember against us our former iniquities. Let your compassion come speedily to meet us, for we are brought very low. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins for your name's sake. Why should the nation say, Where is your God? Where is their God? Let the avenging of the outpoured blood of your servants be known among the nations before our eyes. Let the groans of the prisoners come before According to your great power, preserve those doomed to die. Return sevenfold into the lap of our neighbors the taunts with which they have taunted you. Your people, the sheep of your generation to generation, we will recount your praise. Well, in the back of your hymnal, there is a on page 813, there is a, a responsive reading that we, uh, if you will remain standing for uh, the reading of God's word from First Peter, we're going to actually read the entire first chapter. It's always good to hear the context. And remember that I said that the uh, Roman provinces, the five Roman provinces, uh, are in modern-day Turkey. This is God's word from 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning the salvation prophesied about the grace that is to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with uh, perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the cre excuse me before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Please have a seat. <coughs> Now, the young people here are pretty young, <laughs> so, but I always have stories for them. Um, when I was very young, uh, my mom took me from Herndon, where we lived, down to uh, Arlington, 
to a big store called Penny's. And uh, we went shopping, and I was real small. I was probably four, maybe. And um, they had these big counters, and all the clothes were put on top of the counters, and they were surrounded by glass. And when I stood on one side, I couldn't look over the other side. I couldn't see what was on the other side. So I'm standing there, kind of looking around, and all of a sudden, I look around and I don't see my mom. My mom was on the other side, but I couldn't look up and see her. And so I started to cry. Uh, I was scared, but I wasn't lost. My mom knew exactly where I was. Now, sometime in this world, sometimes in this world, uh, we feel like that. We feel like we're lost. We feel like God doesn't see us, but God always sees us. Because if we belong to Jesus, we can never, ever be lost. And that's, that's a great promise that we have to believe. So we're going to pray right now that we can all understand his word. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would bless this time. Uh, what a wonderful thing it is to be together to worship you. Because we're preparing for that great day when we will be in your presence forever. Um, see the risen, glorious Lord Jesus Christ and fall down at his feet uh, and adore him forever and ever and sing a new song, a song of salvation, a song of resurrection, glory, uh, a song that you will teach us in that day uh, with brothers and sisters from all over the world. Uh, what a great day that will be. Please help us now uh, by thinking of your word to be more and more prepared for that day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this short, pithy book of First Peter that we're going to spend some time is given to uh, a people in that kind of northwest region of modern-day Turkey. And um, we're going to go through some of the things about the, the letter. But we have to think about Peter addressing us, that he's speaking to us. Now, sometimes people talk about Christians as being so heavenly-minded that they're no earthly good. But the problem we've got today in modern American evangelicalism is that we are so earthly minded we're neither heavenly good nor earthly good <laughs> because we're no different than our neighbors who don't know Jesus is that true of you are you thinking about heaven are you thinking about glory are you thinking about the future does that shape how you think do you see yourself as a pilgrim as a stranger well, Peter is writing this, this brief letter. It's only a, a The church, he's going to tell us about elders. He's 
He's going to tell us about suffering, a lot about suffering. But above, above all, he's going to be telling us about Jesus. Because Peter is serious about knowing about Jesus Christ. Now, Peter was passionate about Christ. Now, all the apostles were. But you know that Peter was a impetuous man. He said, I'll never deny you. Then he turns around and when Christ is, erect, uh, uh, Christ is arrested, he says, uh, I don't know the man. Three times. Now, Peter became a man who uh, was bold. You look at the first chapter, first and second chapter of Acts, and, and you see what was going on in Peter's life, how he stood up and on the day of Pentecost, he preached to a mass of people. People were converted by the work of the Holy Spirit. And then Peter went through many things in his life, and uh, the tradition of the church is that Peter was crucified, just like his Lord, only he asked to be crucified upside down, um, which is horrible too. Um, so uh, Peter... Uh, changed because as the Holy Spirit was coming on the church in that day, uh, Peter was enabled to become a man of boldness and clarity, a man whose understanding, even though he was a fisherman, even though he had no formal training, is, is impressive as you read this book. Now, the Peter that we meet in this book is not the Peter we see in the Gospels. Here we see a man who's mature, a man who is sober, who's grown up, who's steady. In contrast to the Gospels, Peter is clear-minded and keeps on track. Peter can speak of Christ and he himself disappears. You know that Peter was kind of always the four, uh, the forerunner in things. You know, he was always speaking up. Uh, among the, the apostles. But here, Peter's actually mentioned, mentions himself twice. Chapter 1 here, and then verse 1 in chapter 5. So Peter kind of disappears because he wants to get Christ in the forefront. He wants Christ to be the focus of everything. Now, he identifies himself uh, and we're going to look at only the first two verses. He identifies himself as an apostle. And uh, you probably know that uh, the word apostle means the sent one or one sent with a commission. So Peter is speaking to the Christians in uh, these five Roman provinces of uh, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, and Bithynia. And his Greek... Uh, the Greek he speaks, because he was a native speaker of Aramaic, but the Greek he speaks is a, is a kind of a muscular Greek. It doesn't have the same uh, quality of fineness that, that you might find in another one of the gospel writers. But um, Peter has uh, this, this powerful Greek. Now, Peter, uh, as an apostle, uh, is only one of 12. 
the 12 that Christ chose and then one was replaced with Matthias when Judas turned away. And they were always testifying to the resurrection of Christ. And you know that the resurrection of Christ came up a number of times in this first chapter. They were testimonies uh, to Christ as being the resurrected Lord. And uh, a friend of mine, Pete Stazen, that you may have had here, Pete Stazen one time said that the foundation of the church is the resurrection of Christ. Now, it certainly includes Christ's death, but what Pete meant by that is it's because Christ has been raised that we know that we are justified. We, he was raised for our justification, uh, as Paul says in one place. So Peter, in his commission, is testifying to the resurrected Lord. And he sees Christ as the glorious Lord, the one who is exalted. It's almost as exalted as the picture that you'll get in the first chapter of Revelation, where, where John sees a vision of Christ in heaven. And it's overwhelming that Christ is so full of glory. So... Peter is not interested in establishing the church on himself. He is not the first pope in that sense. He is not establishing a new version of Judaism. He is establishing the church of Jesus Christ with Jesus Christ as the foundation. Now he says he is an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's not an apostle of anything but of Christ. And if you are not of Jesus Christ, you're not a Christian. It's that simple. If you do not belong to Jesus Christ through a confession of your sins and laying hold of Christ by faith as your only hope of salvation, you are not of Christ. But if you are of Christ, then you can understand what Peter is saying. Because Peter says that he bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Now, talking about those who are elect exiles, and we're going to spend some time with that idea of elect exiles. You know what it is to be a stranger. You walk into a room and you know nobody in the room. Nobody. And you feel... What am I doing here? Why am I here? It can happen when you're going from 7th grade to 8th grade in middle school and you look around and nobody that you knew uh, in 7th grade is there. It can happen when you walk into your first college class and you look around and there are people from all over and nobody you know is there. It can happen when you're in the military and you look around and you know you don't know anybody. So we all have had the experience of being outsiders, being strange, knowing who they knew nobody, nobody in the apartments, nobody in the city. And it was Christmas Eve. And they walked downstairs and they saw in the, the community room all kinds of people there and they were drinking punch and uh, talking and laughing and having a good time. And they felt on the other side of the glass like utter strangers. I'll tell you the rest of the story 
later on, but they felt like they didn't belong, that that wasn't for them. And that's the way we can feel. Now, when you think about it, it's amazing that we are made members of God's family. We are utter strangers to God's holiness. We're dead in our sins. We have no life in ourselves. We can't stand before God in ourselves. And so what are we going to do? Well, Paul says, or Peter says, we are elect exiles. We are chosen. And we're chosen in Jesus Christ. Peter is an apostle of Jesus Christ. And what he's going to say has to do with those who are of Christ. The amazing thing about God's electing grace is that that election comes before time becomes comes before the creation of the world this is something that boggles my mind when I think about it how can God see and determine this and yet he does because he's God he knows what he's going to do you know we sing chosen not for good in me wakened up from wrath to flee chosen not for good in me the outsiders are invited in this word stranger or elect uh, exile and he uses this word several times in this this letter means those who are not of the people those who are outside of the people so you've got the people like the people in that community room and there are those who are outside of the people and and you walk into a room and and you know that the the people there know each other and they're talking to each other and you don't know anybody and you're not of the people and that's the idea courtesy of the United States military I was an outsider in a certain country in Southeast Asia I didn't belong there it wasn't my home the people around me except the people in my unit were strangers to me I was a stranger to them. I didn't belong there. I didn't know the customs. I didn't know anything about it. And that's what we are until God brings us into his family. This is so important for our identity as Christians. How do we think of ourselves as Christians in this world? Now, we're citizens of this country. I assume most of us are citizens of this country. We're citizens of this country and and we care about this country. We care very much about this country. As a grandfather, I really want things to be better in our country for my grandchildren. We know that Christians in other countries, whether it's in Lebanon or Yemen or Colombia or uh, Vietnam or wherever it may be, they care about their country. But they remember, and they have to remember, first of all, that they are exiles. Even when they live there, they're exiles. We're exiles, chosen by God. Our citizenship is in heaven from which we wait for a Savior. Philippians 3, verse 20. So we're pilgrims here. And Paul is going to, or excuse me, Peter is going to emphasize this again and again. Now, there in verse 1, he says, they're the elect exiles of the dispersion. This, this word is only used two other or one other place in the New or excuse me two other places in the New Testament, John seven thirty five and James one one. 
And you can guess what that means, the dispersion. Think of spores. Spores are those little seeds that are, that are spread from uh, a plant. Uh, I was pulling up some plants or some weeds the other day, and uh, uh, they had these little pods. And when I touched them, the pods opened up and the seeds spread all around. I couldn't catch them. Well, that's the idea of the dispersion. The dispersion is God scattering his people. Now, he scatters his people even when they live in one place for a long time. These people who live in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia may have lived in those provinces for hundreds of years. They may have been there for a long time. Their, their family history may go back a long ways. But when they became Christians, when they came to Christ, when their faith was in Jesus, then they became strangers. They were strangers who were in their native countries scattered. Now, I hope you don't think that you're a Christian because you were born in America or you had parents who were Christians. You're a Christian because God chose you and worked in your heart because God converted you. Now, we have to do certain things as citizens of this world. We have to pay taxes and obey laws and, and pray for our country. But realize that you're scattered here in this place for God's purposes. You're not here by chance. You don't live in this tidewater region by, well, I decided that it would be a good idea to, to live near the bay live on the river and live near Virginia Beach it's not because you decided that or the military moved you here or whatever it's because God's providence brought you here his hand is always on our lives so they are elect exiles set in the place that God had chosen now look at it those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now, that word foreknowledge is the noun form. If you were here for the series on Romans chapter 8, we ran into that in verses 29 and 30. God foreknowing, God knowing beforehand, prognosis, before and knowledge, God's knowledge beforehand. This is the noun form of that verb. And it's used only in Acts 2.23 by Peter. So Peter uses the noun form of the verbal form that Paul uses. So it means that God, as he chooses us when we are dead in our sins, when we are apart from him, he redeems us according to his knowledge. It's according to his knowledge. Now, if you look at this verse, you see that this verse, verse 2, mentions all three members of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God the Father, 
Christ the Son, the Holy Spirit, God. All three, who are each fully divine, each almighty, each all-knowing, each all-present. We can't understand some of these things. They are, inter- they are eternal, infinite, and unchangeable in their we- wisdom, being, power, and holiness. So you look at the Westminster Confession and you'll see in questions uh, 4 to 6 something about God there. (coughs) It says that this is the knowledge of God the Father. Now, God the Father acts. We have what's called the economic trinity and the ontological trinity. Don't worry about the words. But the economic trinity means how God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit acts acts what he does the father sends the son the son dies for sins the holy spirit applies the work of the son god's electing grace is according to the father's foreknowledge and the foreknowledge that takes into account our sin and our weakness and our failures so if you are christ's by faith and repentance you are kept by the power of God this is something I absolutely depend upon that I'm kept by the power of God not my own power not my own ability but I'm kept by the power of God until Christ returns now we are not left in our sins because we are saved according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is sanctifying the people of God. He is changing us day by day through trials, through afflictions, through struggles with sin, sometimes failing, sometimes uh, overcoming sin, all the things that the Holy Spirit uses in our lives so that we make progress now you living your life you inside your self you might say sometimes don't see that progress do you you feel like well I'm still the same guy I was 10 years ago but that's not true because God is faithful and God works he who began a good work in you will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ Paul writes to the Philippians and God prepared good works that we should walk in them. God's prepared them and we're walking in them because he is at work in us. Since God is holy, as Peter will go on to say, we are to be holy. And we have the encouragement at the very beginning of this letter that is the sanctification of the Holy Spirit. Now, the next phrase connects the Holy Spirit to Christ so look at verse 2 again according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood so obedience to Jesus Christ is living under the hearing of Christ's word the word here, obedience, is, is not the usual word for obedience. It's rather to hear and to be under, to be under the hearing. 
These people had the gospel preached to them. They heard from Peter the things that he had heard from Christ and was taught by Christ wants us to hear and to obey. This is not works salvation. This is if we are in Christ, we are to live lives reflective of our status in Christ, of who we are in Christ. We can't live as though we are of the world because in Christ we're no longer of the world. We can't live as though it doesn't matter how we live. So Christ says to us in a place like uh, Luke uh, 6 verse 46 why do you call me Lord Lord and do not do what I tell you see there are people who hear but they're not under the hearing it doesn't have an effect there's no obedience so there needs to be obedience now years ago in evangelicalism there was what was called the lordship controversy and that was the idea that you could take Jesus as your savior I've got Jesus as my personal savior but I'm going to live however I want I'll take him as Lord sometime down the road and you can't do that according to verse 2 the obedience of Christ goes along with the sanctification of the spirit so we have to obey what Christ says according to the sprinkling of his blood here he has brought in the death of Christ and Christ's atoning work now, whether this church was mostly Gentile or mostly Jewish or a mixture, we, we don't know. But certainly the imagery that Peter is using is the imagery of the high priest sprinkling the blood of the atoning sacrifice on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. He would go into the Holy of Holies with the blood, and then he'd come out, and with his, he would sprinkle the people. And he said, this is, this is the blood of the covenant. So we have that same phrase in the Lord's Supper. But we, as God's people, have been sprinkled with the blood of Christ. We don't have a non-bloody religion because... This blood was shed once for all. It's impossible, Hebrews tells us, for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. We know that no sacrifice that we come up with, no sacrifice of animals or uh, children or saying, I'm going to give up everything for Lent or whatever it may be, nothing is going to take away our sins except the blood of Christ. Only the blood of Christ cleanses us from sin and he's going to use imagery from the Old Testament throughout this letter because Peter's a man who was soaked in the Old Testament that's the book that he had he knew the Old Testament just like Paul did so the sprinkling of the blood of Christ the cleansing work of Christ has to be applied by the Spirit to us we have to believe in Christ and be cleansed from our sin Sometimes I think about the wealthy and the well-known of our world. It calls me, causes me sorrow. 
should cause me more sorrow, should cause me to pray more, that the business tycoons and premiers and movie stars will appear before the almighty holy God and they won't have any answer because they're not sprinkled with the blood. They're not cleansed by the work of Christ. They haven't believed in Christ. But if we believe in Christ, two things are given to us. Look at the final part of verse 2. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Grace and peace, you know, that grace is the unmerited favor that we get. And peace is the great promise. Paul talks about that, doesn't he, in Romans chapter 5. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace are given to us and they're given to us in abundance. They're multiplied to us. How much are they multiplied? How much does God have to give? Is God limited in his store of grace and peace that he can give to us? You may think that, well, I've gotten all the grace that I've got, (laughs) I'm going to get in my life, but that's not true. Because grace and peace is multiplied. It's beyond your imagination because the limitless God will give to you the grace and peace you need for your life, whatever circumstance you're facing, whatever trial you're going through. So you see, if you just take some time and read just two verses, it builds us up. Peter has laid the groundwork for everything he's going to say in this letter in the very first two verses. He wants us to know these things so that we can read with intelligence the rest of the letter. Remember that uh, story I told you? About the couple who missed the Christmas party? The next morning they went down and they opened up their mailbox And in the mailbox was an invitation. They had been invited, but they didn't know it. How are we looking at Peninsula Reformed Presbyterian Church? There are chosen strangers out there, chosen exiles. But we've got to call them. We've got to let them know that there's a Savior, because God's going to work. We can be sure that God is powerful. We can be sure that God can save. You know, I love that great hymn that ends, Bring the Strangers Home. Is that what we want? Do we want this house filled with those who may not know each other but now know the Savior? Are we praying to that end? May God give us uh, a pastor here that will preach that gospel and proclaim that we can live even if we're sinners, undeserving and under God's wrath, sprinkled with the blood now and becoming chosen exiles. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray that your Holy Spirit would
would give us the desire to invite others to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, our Father in heaven, that you are calling the strangers home, and we know that's happening in other countries. We pray that it'll happen here. We pray that you, by your mercy, uh, would uh, show us the people to talk to and give us the words to say so that we might invite and ask people to come and hear about the Savior. Please, Lord, bless this church. Build it up in the... Uh, make this a place where people find refuge and hope in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. We thank you for our Savior. Pray that we'll love and follow him. In Jesus' name, amen.